We hear the word of God in Ephesians 5, verses 8 to 20. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. That's why it's said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit and speak to one another with psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Two things you can do on Advent Sunday. You can start to think about Christmas or you can start to think about the second coming. We, we thought this morning about the first part of Luke 21 and we continue to look at that chapter tonight as we continue to reflect on Jesus' return and all that precedes that. So our next reading is Luke chapter 21, uh, verses 20 to 36. Jesus said, When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies you will know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, let those in the city get out, and let those in the country not enter the city. For this is the time of punishment, in fulfilment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword and be taken as prisoners to all the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There will be signs in the sun, moon and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. Men will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. 
I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful. Or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness and the anxieties of life, and that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch. And pray that you may be able to escape all that is to happen. And that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Benjamin Franklin was one of the founding fathers of the United States of America. A remarkable man by any account. He was a statesman, a diplomat, a scientist, polymath, an inventor. He founded firefighting clubs, hospitals, academies, libraries, and insurance companies. In his autobiography, he recalls his father repeatedly quoting Proverbs 22, 29 to him. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. And so as he grew up, Franklin considered skill work to be a pathway to fortune and fame. He says he didn't ever really expect he would one day stand before kings, and yet at the end of his life he could chart that he stood in the presence of no less than five different kings, and even had the honour of dining with the king of Denmark. It's an honour to be able to stand in the presence of royalty. In the ancient world, you came before the king and you were on your knees. To be able to stand was a mark of great honour. And in Luke 21, 36, Jesus closes his discourse on the end of the age by telling his followers to be alert and pray that they might have strength to escape all the troubles headed their way and at last that they would be able to stand before the Son of Man in the glory of his kingdom and to be made welcome in his presence. It's probably the idea of it being a privilege of being able to stand in the presence of the king that lies behind a textual variant that Jesus' followers should pray that they might be found worthy to stand in the presence of the Son of Man. And it's that that finds its way into the authorised version, if we have any King James readers here tonight. In the Jewish Book of Enoch, there's a picture of the day of salvation. When the elect stand before the Son of Man, but their former oppressors are filled with shame and their faces are covered with darkness and they are banished from his presence and never seen again. Psalm 24, with which we began our service tonight, asks, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. By contrast, Psalm 1 makes it clear that the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. There is no way that those who are conscious of their sins or iniquities get to stand 
in the presence of the living God. So Jesus says, pray that you will be able to stand before the Son of Man. And I wonder whether he's drawing a contrast here because he talks a couple of times in this passage about standing. There's that prayer that you'll be able to stand before the Son of Man. And he says, when all these things, all these trials and tribulations come, he says, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. So in the course of scratching my head looking for inspiration wondering what on earth to say tonight, it suddenly struck me that there's a contrast possibly between those who get to stand in the presence of the Son of Man and those who, as it literally says in Luke 21, 35, are sitting around on the ground. It's an idiom used for, for dwelling. Those who sit in the land, those who dwell in the land, it's those who are there. But it's a picture perhaps of those who are caught unawares, who are, have a sense of helplessness, who are sitting around, unable to do anything. Jesus pictures people uh, being overwhelmed uh, with dissipation, drunkenness, the anxieties of life, just sitting, waiting for the trap to close on them, quite helplessly. Whereas those who are ready are standing and waiting with expectation. Jesus talks about some people dying of fright, scared to death of what is happening in the world, in such anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea that they are paralysed with fear. The image is one of one group of people sitting around hopelessly and helplessly, waiting for their fate to overtake them, and other people standing, lifting up their heads, because they know what is going on. They know what's coming. They know that Jesus is coming back and when he returns, he brings redemption. So in contrast to the people who have no idea what to do, drink themselves into such a state that all they can do is sit around helplessly to await their fate, Jesus says that we as his followers, we are the ones who are standing. We are ready. We are alert. We are praying. We are watching. We are vigilant. Because we know that when Jesus returns, he comes back to redeem his people, to judge the world, to bring in the kingdom of God, to banish the wicked, and to sit down on his eternal throne and welcome into his presence those who belong to him, those who get to stand in the presence of the Son of Man seated on his throne. The promise of Jesus' return is something that's been around for 2,000 years. It's God's ultimate purpose and guarantee uh, that one day Jesus will come back, bring in the kingdom of God and set everything right. And it's a, a promise that I guess still holds good, even after 2,000 years. Uh, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So as we thought this morning, when, when things get bad, we shouldn't be surprised, because that's exactly what Jesus said would happen. At the time when Jesus spoke these words, the temple in Jerusalem was still standing before the very eyes of those who were listening to Jesus' prophecy. And its destruction within 40 years was a sign that his words were true. And as, as we read back and think about all that Jesus says, we need to recognise that the, the truth of that prophecy in the short term 
the destruction of the temple, the reality that what was visible and tangible and seemingly impregnable before them was gone. Jesus spoke the truth about the short term, and that means he's speaking the truth about the long term as well. Because even though he's a long time cashing in on it, the promise of his return still holds good. He was right about the temple. He was right about coming back. And the destruction of the temple at the hands of the Romans serves as a kind of mini picture, a microcosm of the worldwide judgment that is, comes when Jesus returns to judge the world as Lord of all. And when will that be? Well, that's the $64,000 question, isn't it? Nobody knows. Despite numerous confident predictions that have nailed down the date and the time, only to have the deadline passed by quite embarrassingly without any sign of Jesus coming back. The prediction that this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened certainly makes life complicated for us because on the face of it, it looks as though Jesus expected it all to be done and dusted within the generation of those who are listening to him. And there are those who simply think that Jesus got it wrong. Uh, he admitted he didn't know when he was coming back and he assumed it would be within their lifetime and he was mistaken in that. He said, only the Father knows. And maybe he was mistaken in the assumption it would be quite that soon. Others say that this generation, well, that stands for the generation of those who willfully oppose the kingdom of God. And there have been people who've done that from that day to this. Uh, the generation, there is the generation of those who seek God, referred to in Psalm 24, and there is the generation of those who reject God. And Jesus is simply saying, this generation, how long am I going to have to put up with you? Well, right to the end. This generation of people rejecting God will not pass away until the time comes when Jesus returns. Or maybe it's the nation of Israel. Uh, this nation will not pass away before these things come to pass. Or maybe all the things that this generation will see are the signs of Jesus coming rather than Jesus coming itself. In which case Jesus is saying every generation needs to be in a state of constant readiness because no one knows the day or the time. There will not be a generation without all the signs of his return being there. So at every stage you need to be ready because he could come at any moment. Reading the signs of the times is like looking at leaves on a fig tree. When its leaves appear, you know that summer is near. When you see these things start to happen, you know the Son of Man could return at any moment. And these signs will be present in every generation. Maybe that, I think, is most likely how Luke intended us to take Jesus' words. In the meantime, we live in the period which he enigmatically refers to as the times of the Gentiles. And huge edifices of theological speculation have been erected on the flimsy foundations of that phrase. But what's it mean for us? It means this is our moment. We are living in the times of the Gentiles. We are not part of God's chosen people. We are not Israelites. We are not physically descended from Abraham. But during the times of the Gentiles, the door is wide open for us to make our own personal response to Jesus' offer of grace. Because the, one, the, the risen Lord, who one day will return as our judge, is the one who laid down his life to be our saviour, 
to take upon himself our sin and its consequences, to pray for our forgiveness as he died. The door is open for us at this stage to turn to him in repentance and faith because we live in the period when the message of the forgiveness of sins is being preached in his name to all nations. So whatever our understanding is of the times of the Gentiles, whenever we think Jesus might be coming back, however much we might wonder in our hearts, why has it not still happened after 2,000 years? All those questions are beyond answering and beyond comprehension. But what we do know is that now is the time when we have the opportunity and we are called to turn to Christ and acknowledge him as Lord and seek his forgiveness and enter his kingdom. Because if he hasn't come back yet, that means the door is still open for us. And we should go through it while we have the chance. We are called to acknowledge Christ as Lord, to ask him to release us from those sins which hold us back and drag us down, and ask him to turn our lives around so that we are no longer sitting in the darkness of the shadow of death, but instead we see the coming dawn of his kingdom and we are standing and walking towards that. And we live in a dark world, goodness knows we all know that, but we live in this dark world as as people who have the light of life, the light of salvation, the light of the presence of Christ shining in our hearts. So we stand and we look forward to his coming again. And we don't know when that will be. We're not even quite sure how it will work. But we're ready. We're waiting. We're expectant. And we're standing. The resurrection of Jesus marked the start of God's new day. When Sue and I were at college, some of the guys in the year above us, above us called a band, formed a band called 1AM. And if asked about the name, they would say, well, at one o'clock in the morning, it's a new day, but it's still dark. And that was the point. The new day has come, but it's still dark. And in the darkness and confusion and chaos of the world, we do not sit around in the darkness with chaos and confusion in our hearts, waiting for the inevitable to happen. We are standing We are holding our heads up high. We are looking and waiting for Jesus to come back. And we let the agenda of his kingdom shape and mould our lives and determine our priorities. It's easy for us perhaps to lose sight of the promise of Jesus' return. After all, the more time passes, the more it feels as though this world order is set to continue indefinitely. But Jesus says, don't don't be fooled. Don't be complacent. Don't get a false sense of security. The miracle, and miracle it was, of God incarnate, of Christ being born in the stable in Bethlehem, that will be followed by the miracle of his return to finish what he began and bring the kingdom of God in its fullness and in its finality. And then, as Revelation puts it so eloquently, then there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, because the old order of things, and that's all we know, but the older order of things will have passed away. 
And if we have that hope in our hearts, then Jesus says, get to your feet. Stand up. Lift up your head so that you will be ready to welcome his coming. And maybe that means gritting our teeth and being prepared to face tough times and praying for strength. But praying for the strength to make it through. That on that day, whether we're here in person or not, but on that day, in the presence of the King, we might be able to stand as people who've made it through, know who we belong to, people who are welcome in his presence, saved by grace. On that day, we will be able to stand in the presence of the Son of Man. Now, as we wait for his return, we stand and we look forward to it. We set our faces towards it and we ask for strength and courage and grace to live as people of the new day while the world is still dark.